my very brave daughter. Went and asked her matric dance partner today, so it was very exciting. That's what Nick was referring to. Very brave. Um, thank you so much. It is so wonderful to be preaching this evening. Um, I don't take it for granted, but I do absolutely love it when I'm able to just share a bit of the gospel with everybody. So um, initially when I was trying to decide, um, we'd started the faith series before we went on holiday, um, before San and I had leave, and um, I was trying to decide who I wanted to speak on out of the faith heroes from Hebrews 11. And I'd sort of set my heart on Samuel, and then when I started doing a bit of research and a bit of reading on him, he is an incredibly amazing young man, um, and he becomes a very old man, and the feats that he does are quite remarkable. Um, Helen spoke about Moses being no ordinary child, and Samuel too is, was no ordinary child. He was a miracle child that his mother prayed for, and she names him Samuel, meaning God has heard. He was a young boy who heard God speak to him. Do you remember the story when he is in the temple with Eli and the voice of God calls him and wakes him every night? He was the last judge over Israel before the kings were anointed, and he anointed both the kings, both Saul and David. He was an incredible prophet. They say he was one of the first prophets after Moses. Um, it was very rare at that time to hear the voice of the Lord, so he was one of the first that brought the voice of the Lord. He was a priest. He was a Nazarite. He, he apparently threw the best Passover feasts ever, um, so it says in the Word of God, and he's remembered for his prayers. So I realized that is a really large subject to speak about. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go and read the story of Samuel, and I wonder if you would mind coming along with me. It is a nice chunk, chunk of scripture, but it is a beautiful story, so bear with me. There was a certain man from Ramtaim, sorry, it is um, 1 Samuel 1, um, this is the story in the book of Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramtaim, he had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hopni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penaniah and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, 
and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an epaph of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. What an incredible story. And after I'd read that story, imagining that I was going to speak about Samuel, something stirred inside me about his mother, Hannah. And, and I felt tonight that um, I wanted to share with you some faith lessons that Hannah teaches us through this incredible, incredible scripture. So once we've read the thing of Samuel, I then realized that the reason Samuel made it into that faith list in Hebrews was because of his mother, partly was one of the reasons, was because of his mother. And she was commended for passing on her faith to his son. And I was reminded of Timothy, and I want to read a scripture from the Amplified Version when Paul says, 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, I remember your sincere and unqualified faith, the surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness, a faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm confident that it is in you as well. So I started thinking about what does it mean to pass on faith? What does it mean to have faith that passes and moves from generation to generation? Glenridge is a house, our core values, as we had a wonderful opportunity at the end of last year to go through them. 
three of them that come out tonight, Glenridge has got courageous faith. That is one of our core values. We are a family, and we believe in multiplication. So it doesn't, it's not a long stretch to think about us passing on our faith. If you have been in this church for more than one meeting, I'm sure you would have heard that we are not living for ourselves. We are living for the next generation. We are asking God to help us pass things on to the people that come behind us. So I asked myself some questions about faith. And I wonder if Shepard could put that beautiful picture up for me. Can faith be genetic? This is the most beautiful picture of our eye candy, which is Derek Watson, that's our pet name for him, and his beautiful grandson, Jesse. I love the way that Jesse is looking off into the distance. He is totally secure on his grandfather's shoulders. And I asked the question, can faith be genetic? Did Samuel gain something from his biological mother that was passed down to him? Paul seems to think that Timothy gained something from his grandmother and from his mother. So my question is, are we modeling a life to our natural children that is full of faith? I sat yesterday at Emmy's birthday, and I looked across, and I saw my adult children now, and Cameron was there as well, um, sitting, um, and Natalie, sorry, she wasn't there actually, but Cameron and Matthew was, and Emily, and Josh, and Susie, and Sam, and I sat there, and I watched them absorb with such comfort and such ease the joy of community celebrating Remarkable Emmy and celebrating this incredible faith step that Graham and Emmy are taking. And something whirled inside me. And I actually said to Josh afterwards, I said, Josh, it's like so normal for you to be part of this. And Josh said, yeah, maybe it's going to be us one day. And I said, not maybe, definitely it's going to be you guys one day. But it's an incredible privilege to know that your children, when they're part of a community, are absorbing the faith in the house. And it's being passed from generation to generation. I know my kids are going to remember yesterday because it was powerful. It's bold. It's a massive step of faith. But I'm so grateful they got to be part of it. And then I asked myself, do you think faith can be contagious? I think it can. I think it can. Paul spoke so beautifully at the beginning of the year about us being on a quest. And you know what? You don't go on a quest without your friends, without your mates. You pick the right people to be around you, and you go out on that quest, and partly because you trust those people that you're with. So my question is today, are you surrounding yourself with people who are full of faith? Is their faith rubbing off on you? Is it a good contagious, not a bad contagious? Is it a good contagious? So if you're sitting here today and you don't have biological children, that's okay. I want to know, is your faith rubbing off on the next generation? Is it rubbing off on the people that are around you? And then my third question about faith was, is, are we guiding, sorry, are we guarding 
And are we guiding faith in this house, in a faith environment? You know, for something to grow, it has to be in a perfect environment. I think of Linda and her beautiful garden, and I think she knows which plant grows well somewhere. I think of Beth and her research, her medical research. She knows what grows well in a certain environment, what doesn't. If you think about people in your life and you know when they flourish and when they bloom, it's all about the environment that they're placed in. So are we in a faith environment where our faith can grow, where people's faith can grow and can be guided and can be guarded and protected? All of us here can spend one minute out of this place, in the workplace, with our families, with our friends, and we know that the enemy is trying to rob us of our faith. That you just have to look at the news, you just have to have one conversation with someone who's not a believer and doesn't have hope, and it can suck the faith out of you so easily. Guys, we need to be protecting the environment that we're in, and we need to be providing an environment where our faith can grow and where our faith can be guided. I love the way that Greg spoke about that word. He said, be the sign. Are we being that sign? Are we, are we taking our faith into our environments? Because that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to. It says in that incredible song, it says, um, when, I, when, I walk into, when you walk into the room, everything changes. That should be the testimony about us. When we walk into the hospital room, everything should change. Oh, Stanley told me I had to take my earring off, and I said, no. It looks so nice. Natty told me hoops give you confidence. So now I've got one lopsided confidence. Sticky tape behind it. Anyway, sorry, Stan, you were right, as always. Yeah, that's marriage, marriage 101, guys. Yeah. Let him think he's right. So I want to speak about a couple of the lessons that I think Hannah taught me when I read through it, and I really hope it encourages you tonight. I hope it strengthens you. I hope it builds your faith. I feel like tonight's environment of worship was incredibly faith-filling. It was magnificent. The contributions were amazing. Um, so I'm really praying that the seed, the ground has been well prepared and that the seeds will fall into easy, easy ground. So I know that the, the struggles that Hannah was facing is not the struggles that everybody is facing. I do know that there are some of you who are facing this struggle, and I do pray that tonight gives you courage because I feel like God wants to speak to you too. But the struggles that we're facing, the opposition we're facing is real. And I think the most incredible thing about the name Hannah, one of my nieces is called Hannah, I knew that the, the name meant favor and grace. I thought, isn't it amazing that she walked around her whole life with a name that said favor and grace, but she was barren. It's almost like she didn't live in her name. And I was just reminded that God is so incredibly involved in our destinies that sometimes in the place that you're walking, it's not favor and grace. It's not the fulfillment of his promise over your life, but he still has a promise and a destiny over your life. I thought that was such an amazing thing. Isn't it kind how sometimes we can't see the promise, 
but Hannah was still able to walk around favor and grace. And it was that beautiful scripture, and it said, I felt so sorry for his other wife. It said he gave Hannah a double portion because he loved her. What shame, did he not love his other wife? That's what happens when you have two wives. No capacity to love two. But yeah, it was just an amazing thing for me that actually her name, it's almost like she, she had to take her eyes off her circumstances and just stand. Stand in the name that meant favor and grace because that's what she was trusting in, not the circumstances around her. For me, that first lesson was actually faith was in her heart. It was deep down. It was a deep down faith that she was holding on to. Then I loved that part of the story that said, Hannah, my, my second point is, Hannah knew how to respond with grace or not to respond at all. Oh, to have the gift of restraint. To know the right things to say, but also know when to say nothing. Not an easy task. For years, Penaniah, Elkaniah's other wife, ridiculed Hannah for her infertility. Their annual journey up to the temple was extremely painful for Hannah, as she was reminded again and again that she had no children. Yet instead of responding to her tormentor, she kept her mouth shut and cried out to the Lord for his mercy. How is our response to our situation? Are we moaning? Are we groaning? Are we angry? How is our response to our situation? We know James speaks about the power of our tongue. The power of our tongue has a power to build up, but it also has a power to tear down. Ladies and gentlemen, let's put a restraint on our mouths and make sure that it's faith that comes out of them. Hannah had faith in her mouth, my second point. My third point, despite her continued barrenness, she continued to journey with her husband and family to the temple. I know that the best tactic of the enemy is to isolate you isolate you from community and draw you away because it's too painful. Every year, it said, she went up to the temple. She made the annual trip with her husband and her family. And she cried out to the Lord on her own. It was wonderful this morning as Stan was preaching. There were so many of the points. I thought, oh, it's amazing. I'm just packaging them a bit differently. But this is what God wants to say to this community. She cried out to God on her own, can I admonish you that to dig your personal walk with God, dig your wells deep? She stood on her own in the temple and she cried out to God. This is a season as we're journeying in faith where we need to make our relationship with God strong and we need to make it deep, not just shallow. We need to make it deep. And it's interesting if you look at the history of the time when they used to make these journeys, the environment actually was not conducive to prayer. The Israelites had wandered far from Moses, wandered far from his, the commands that Moses had given them. This was not a godly community. So it wasn't like the environment was particularly friendly for prayer. Sounds a bit like the environments we live in. It's not always friendly for prayer. But she made the journey and she 
continued to pray and she continued to call on her God. And then she appealed to Eli, the priest, to ask God to bless her with a child more than once. And in one of the other translations I read, it said, Eli was moved by her request. My comment was, the enemy comes to isolate you and withdraw you from community. This journey of faith is not meant to be lived alone. Let the people who love you and are moved with compassion and love for your circumstances stand by you when you trust in God for something. Let them stand alongside you. So she stood with God on her own and she prayed and she trusted him with her own faith. And then she went to the priest and she went to the temple. You are surrounded in this place by an incredible cloud of witnesses who are prepared to hold your hands up when you're struggling with something. She went to him and people's hearts are moved. I know there are people in this community that I have cried out to God for because I know my heart is grieved. I lie awake at night with the struggles that some of you are facing because I love you. And that love is not my love. It's the love of God that he gives me for you. Let your people stand by you in your time of need. So my, that point number three is have faith in and with your friends. Make sure you're surrounded by people who you can have faith with and faith in your friends. And then my fourth point, Hannah promised God that she would dedicate Samuel to the work of the Lord and she kept her promise. I wonder if it ever crossed her mind to keep Samuel. Imagine you've been praying and asking God for this promise for year in and year out and finally you have that baby in your arms and you're going to give him up. Sure. I don't know if I would have had the strength. But she had asked God and she was obedient to him. So she obeyed him and she was then rewarded. It's so amazing. We only hear about her beautiful son, Samuel. But she went on to have five more children. She had two more sons and three more daughters. So my my point is, faith brings obedience, and obedience brings reward. Imagine if she hadn't given her son back. Would she, God have given her more children? I don't know. But faith brings obedience, and obedience brings reward. That's my fourth point. And then my fifth point, Hannah was not the first woman to suffer with infertility. I know this is a tough thing. When you're the one suffering with an issue, maybe it's not infertility. Maybe it's a difficult marriage. Maybe it is no job, unemployment. Maybe it is money issues. Maybe it's illness and it's health that you're suffering with. Hannah was not the first woman to suffer with infertility. Actually, she was the fourth in the Bible up until her time. Before her, there were three other women who endured the despair of not being able to conceive. Sarah was the first, Abraham's wife, followed by Rebecca, followed by Rachel. However, if you go and read 
the way these women responded to their plight. It's not particularly faithful. However, Hannah was the only one who accepted God's promise with unwavering faith. Remember, you're not the only one who has suffered. You're not the only one who's going through crisis. How are you responding? Oh, that's a tough one. How are we responding to the circumstances and the crisis that we're facing? I want to respond like Hannah did. She had faith in her father's ability, and she trusted in his word over her life. Interestingly enough, many commentators have linked Hannah with Mary. They say um, that Hannah's song of triumph um, which was really incredible. I'd advise you just go and read it. It's really beautiful. Is suggested to have inspired Mary's Magnificat. What's it called? Magnific. Magnific. Whatever. Which is in Luke 1, 44 to 55. And guess how that, that begins? It says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. How incredible is that? Go and read those two incredible songs of women who had faith, and through their obedience, they received the reward. And Hannah, like Mary, gave her child to God, and after she did, she just slipped into the background, but she became immortal through her son. We have that incredible privilege through somebody else who sent his son, that we get to have eternity when we accept him into our lives and we accept him as our Lord and Savior. So my last commendation is people are watching. Your family is watching your faith journey. Your children are watching your faith journey. Your colleagues are watching your faith journey. Your spouse is watching your faith journey. Your friends are watching your faith journey. Are you going to be like Hannah? No matter what the crisis is that you're facing, no matter what the difficulty is, you're going to respond like she did in those five ways that I felt she responded. And are we going to respond well because we trust our Father? Thank you. Father God, we are incredibly grateful, Lord, that we stand in an environment full of faith. That scripture that speaks about we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Can I exhort you people, speak to the person on your left and your right, and you will be amazed at the incredible journeys of faith and the walk that they have with their Lord. I thank you, Father, for this environment of faith, and I pray that we will guard it, and I pray that it will guide us into this incredible adventure with you. Help us, Lord, to respond well to the circumstances around us, and help us, Lord, although we know so many people are watching, 
pray, Father God, that we would know that we do everything for an audience of one. And I, Lord, want to stand like Hannah, and I want to be under your gaze, Lord God. And I pray tonight that you would give us courage as a community to stand under the gaze of our Father and to hand things over to you, Lord. Speaking as Nick did about that incredible little journey we have to make on a tightrope of trust. I pray, Lord God, that we would know that it's not only you holding us, but it's our friends, it's our community around us that helps us walk to the other side, Lord Jesus, and tell the incredible testimony of how you came through for us. In your precious name. I pray this week, Lord God, would be a week full of faith for people, that they would go into their workplace, they would go into their families, and they would know, Lord God, that because you are inside them, that everything changes. And they would be able to, people would ask, what's different about you? Now I've just got a little bit of faith, and God is helping me walk on my journey. In your precious name, amen.